And so this is the third installment in the first in the great commandment, Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And I love the bridge he did for those who love him, who set their love upon him. And I love it. He's talking the first in the great commandment. It says in Matthew 22, 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they said together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him, teachers, which is, which is the great commandment of the law. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And Mark 12 is going to add strength. You, this is the great and the first commandment. And the second's like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I've been looking at this, locked in on it. Uh, we, we, we redid our DN uh, mission statement around this thing. Um, this is the vision of our life. I've said over and over, week after week here, that this is the primary call of every disciple and the destiny of every human being that's ever been made, whether they know that or not. They're made to love God with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul and all their strength. And so the primary war on planet earth is a war over love. It's not a war over money. It's not a war over sexuality. It's not a war over power. All those things are distracted. It's about what we love. And the creator tells us here, Jesus tells us that the core of his kingdom is this dynamic of love. All 613 commandments of the Torah are summed up in these two things. So... So as a disciple of Jesus, the primary focus and vision of our life should be all love for the Lord and as yourself love for your neighbor. So you take them, you meditate on them, but just a reminder that the four spheres mentioned in the great commandment are right here. They are the heart, all your affections and emotions, your soul, your seat of consciousness, your mind, all your thoughts and imaginations, what you do with that mind and thinking, and then your strength, which is your body and your actions. And so... Uh, when you think through this thing, don't just go through it. Everybody, this is kind of a traditional verse a lot of people know, but think through, meditate through, pray specifically. Lord, what's it look like? Holy Spirit, that I love you with all my mind. And everything in me, in my mind, in my thinking, that unbelief, that fear, the funkiness, the darkness that's got in there, would you begin to topple that stuff so that my mind is a love instrument unto you? My imagination is a love instrument unto you. I want my thinking to bring you pleasure because your thinking brings me pleasure. And so we set our hearts and you get your prayers oriented around this. I want my affections in my heart, my emotions that are so all over the place. They will not guide me, but I want them transformed where I burn for you. So we're trying to raise up primarily lovers here, secondarily missionaries, workers. Workers will do great work if they are in love. So Jesus tells us two astounding things about these two, in these two commandments. Number one, that loving God is the first and great commandment. That means it's first in all the created order, in the heavens and the earth. God would just like, hey, I want to come up with 613 commands to keep them out of trouble. No, he's revealing his heart. Here's what will fulfill you the most. Here's what will give you maximum pleasure on planet earth. And so he reveals these things and then tells us, the great rabbi, the creator in flesh, God, the word become flesh, tells us that the greatest one is to love him with our all. And so it's the first and the greatest. We're asking, I'm asking for you to consider, is the first and great commandment first and great in your life? Is it your mission? I said to the trekkers the other day, my life has been so distracted from a young man with a call. I'm saved at 10, called at 12, 
It started coming fast. As a teenager, I did a little bit of preaching. Then I got going to my 20s, so unprepared. But I was always caught up with doing a great thing. But right now, I'm really caught up with loving a great king. That has changed everything for me. Because it is failure can't move me. Success mostly can't move me. I can either with failure get in despair or with success get in idolatry. But if I love him and he's my treasure, then I'm free in the middle of both. Does that make sense? And so it's a wonderful thing for the Lord to begin to transform this. May the first and great commandment be first and great in your heart. Number two is that loving God and neighbor is the fulfillment of all the commands. It's all of them. It's just amazing. Like, I love it. I'm a sum it up kind of guy. And this is the sum up of all sum ups of the Torah right here. So, and a few other places, and this is my point tonight for the third installment. It's just this one point. In a few other places, Jesus ties obedience to loving him. Obedience has taken a beating in our culture because it gets connected to law and religion and it's been around abuse that happens, it can get funky. And I'll get you, the enemy wants to distort this word. Jesus uses it freely. And he connects it to love. And let me read a couple verses to you. John 14, 15. Jesus will say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, this will be the proof you'll obey me. Next, in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he is the one who loves me. He who loves me, we love by my Father, and I'll love him, and I'll manifest myself to him. He uniquely connects loving God with our all to obedience. In our grace inundated culture, which I like, I'm pro-grace. I mean, I'm so thankful for grace. But grace as a permission to sin and do whatever you want is not biblical. Grace that sets me free from the penalty of sin is the same grace that sets me free from the power of sin. It's the same grace, or it's not grace that's coming from God. And it actually empowers me to obey. So Jesus says, loving me is manifest in obedience. This one's clear, John 15, 9, lastly. As the Father has loved me, that's big, so have I, I'm manifesting that love to you, so I want you to abide in my love. You need to make dwell, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is how you do it. So he's going to say, as the Father loves me, that's big. I'm going to love you. I want you to abide in that love. Well, how do I do that? Here it is. Keep my commandments, and you'll abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that your joy may be, that my joy may be in you, how joyful was Jesus, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is not trying to make a bunch of disappointed people that can't join the party of the world. He's trying to set you on fire and give you so much joy you explode. I mean, what is it like to carry the joy of Jesus in you? He's eternally joyful, and he's given it to you, and he wants your joy to be full, and that's connected to you obeying and being in the midst of his love. So it's not a declaration, I believe. So how does obedience to commands connected to the love of God. Watch this nuanced thing. It is not a declaration that if we obey his commands, then God will love us. That's the bummer deal of how people read that. If I obey enough, the enemy and the religious spirit wants to say, if you perform good for God, God's gonna like you and love you. That's a lie. He likes you when you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. 
He loved the world in sin. He loves his enemies. You don't have to get God to love you, okay? That's not what the text is talking about. It is not a declaration about that. But there are two ways that obedience does connect us to the love of Jesus. Let me just sow these, and then I'll pray. Number one, by your fruit, you will know who you love. Obedience to Jesus is a true fruit or result of a heart that loves him. That's a big deal. Don't reverse that. True obedience, I mean to, to what he said. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I want you walking in righteousness. I didn't come to go, I know you're all just, you know, failures, and I'm going to give you grace anyway, and you can come into my heaven. That's not true. He came. We're supposed to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. But true obe- obedience to Jesus is the true fruit that I'm loving him. So I can check my fruit. My fruit, my outward obedience will tell me where my love is. I'm not working to get God to love me. I'm actually falling in love. I'm moving in love. I'm seen sanctified. And as I love him more, I turn that off. I stop eating that. I stop looking at that. And I begin to obey in a more full way. Obedience is clearly the fruit to show where your level of love is. So that's a big deal to this generation. I want to say this. Your level of love is not proved by how much you sway to the cool sounding music. This is a big deal. How much you pant and sway and do your hands. I am a panter, a swayer, a walker, a rocker, okay? But I could do that all day long while the music cranks up and go right back out there and sin. And it's happening all the time. The proof of the pudding of my passion for Jesus is what I'm going to do when Amy's in a bad mood and treats me bad. Am I a lover of God in that moment? When the temptation dances its way by my eye. When the, when the enemy hates me and speaks evil of me, how I respond is the proof of if I'm increasing as a lover of God. Does that make sense? That's the proof of the pudding. It's how you do when you stump the toe, maybe more than how you do when they crank up the song. Now, I like the song. We're going to sing the song. We're going to express. We'll pant and rock and sway. And I'm making fun of that. I'm not really do what you do. But listen, the proof of the pudding is outside those walls of where we are a lover of God. And so this is what Jesus says. You can't say that you love me and then walk opposite of me. If your heart increases in love, it will increase in love of righteousness, love of enemies. So number one. Number two, obedience, I think, puts you in a position to receive This is a tad nuanced, but stay with me. Obedience does not earn the love of Jesus, but it does put you in the heart position to dwell in that love. Now, what I mean by that is, again, easy. We don't earn him. We don't get him to like us more. But obedience gets me in a place where I dwell in him. If I went back to John 15, 9, as the fathers love me, so I love you, so abide in my love. How do I do that? If you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love. How do I abide in the love of God? How do I, here's another way to say it. How do I get under the spigot of the pouring out love? Let's just say it's pouring out right here. I'm over here, no pouring out. How do I move into under the spigot? Obedience. I begin to obey and believe and confess his word. Psalms 91, the righteousness, all those things. When I obey, 
I put myself in a position to begin to receive the love that's already there. I don't obey to get some love to be there. I obey to get in midst of the love that's already there. Here's the bummer. The bummer with sin is not just that you're going to get a spanking called hell. That's terrible if you don't receive Jesus. But it's the bummer about sin, especially for a believer, more to the point, is that you're missing out on the experience of the love of God. You're missing the party. Sin is, I showed up for a different party. I'm in a different room. I'm celebrating and loving something else, and I'll live under the love of sexuality, live under the love of the applause of man, or under money. I'm telling you, there's only so much that you get off that stuff. You're made to live under the spigot of the full pouring out of the love of God. And how you do that is you align yourself with his word. You believe his word, you say his word, and you obey his word. And when you do that, you begin to experience his love in a deep, deep way. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So I want to just put before you in this third installment of the love of God that we're going to keep going at, obey him. <laughs> Learn to obey him. And know that obedience is an invitation into the love of God. It's an invitation. The lover went. So loyalty to Amy is fairly important in the midst of our relationship. When I'm loyal to her and kind, I end up getting nicer things from her. So I, you might say, well, that's earning it. I don't know. I think actually that it's, I'm actually, it, that loyalty puts me in that place Obedience, if you will, puts me in that place where I can enjoy the love of me. Instead of my conscience is stricken and I'm constantly having to fight that battle, I'm now coming into the love of God. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would seal this in our hearts tonight. We love you. We thank you for the word that you've shared with us tonight. Missions. What a great night. Word on faith, Psalms 91. And, Lord, I'm just asking that you would... Set our hearts, raise up lovers of God in these last days. We want to stand against the, 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 the whole narrative of the end days that people will be lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of themselves, but not lovers of God. 2 Timothy 3. We want to be lovers of God in these last days. So I'm praying that you would do a miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit and awaken hearts in this room. I pray you would deliver the word obedience and the activity of obedience out of the religious place it's been, the doldrums, the place, out of, Lord, I just pray, deliver us. And may we find it a delight to obey. May we love righteousness because we love you. you in power. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that pays for our disobedience. <clears throat> and Lord, I pray you would train us, train our hearts to be wholehearted lovers of God in Jesus' name.